Good morning. My voice is just a little bit off, so I apologize for that. Now this morning, I'm going to preach on gluttony. Is everybody ready? How many of you ate too much? I know I did, and uh, I'm not sorry for it. But uh, I, I feel good because the, the every night that I ate too much for dinner, I, I didn't eat supper that night. So, so I think I kind of made up for it. But, but I had a really good time. I enjoyed Thanksgiving. I got to see some family I hadn't seen in a while. And, and you know, the good thing is you won't see them for a while till next year. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding, y'all. Everybody likes to smile. Everybody likes to laugh. Anybody who thinks that you can't laugh in church, uh, well, they're probably free will Baptists. But anyways, <laughs> First Samuel this morning will be in the book of First Samuel chapter number thirty. First Samuel chapter thirty, verse number one. When you arrive in First Samuel chapter thirty, you can stand and say Amen. This is a, a little section of scripture about a man named David. So we're going to learn about David. We know what David did. We know that David had some great accolades, uh, but David also had a hard time. And so 1 Samuel chapter number 30, verse number 1, it says, And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. And had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his son and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for the many blessings of the day. God, I thank you for the good spirit that's here this morning. Lord, I pray that nothing I would say or do would quench that spirit. But God, that you would continue to move in this service. Lord, I just pray that you would, Lord, just, just add to the reading of your word. God, use me as your vessel. Because God, I'm absolutely unworthy this morning. God, I just pray that you would touch those to whom this message speaks. God, that you would just deal with their heart, Lord. And let us learn something from your word. God, I just pray that you would, Lord, give me clarity of mind and clarity of speech. And let the Holy Spirit do the preaching this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. David is, is a man that, that, he's a sort of a polarizing figure. And, and David had ups and David had downs. But David at this time had already been anointed king of Israel. If you go back to 1 Samuel chapter number 16, verse 13, and I won't have you turn there, but Samuel goes down to David's house or goes down to his father's house, and he says, I'm here to anoint the new king of Israel. And so he, he presents his sons. Jesse presents his sons, and he presents every one of them. And Samuel knew that, that every man that, that came through was not to be the king. 
because God was going to be on him, that the Spirit of God would be on this man that was set to be the new king of Israel. And we said, and so Samuel asked Jesse, he said, do you have any more sons? And he says, yes, I have one son. He said, and he's out tending the sheep. And we know that while David was tending sheep, you can read through the book of Psalms and you can find that David many times wrote about experiences that he had or lessons that he learned while he was tending those sheep. He was out there and he learned about the valley of the shadow of death. He learned about uh, all these things about how to shepherd the sheep and, and God was just training him on how to be the king of his people. God was preparing David for what he was about to face and what he was about to do. David had no idea that God was going to call him to be the king. All he knew is that he was out in the field one day and a messenger came and got him and said that the prophet is at your father's house and he has bidden you to come. And so David goes home and he is anointed king of Israel. That's 1 Samuel chapter 16, 1 Samuel chapter 17, and then on into chapter 18, David is anointed king of Israel, but he has not yet taken the throne. Why is he not taking the throne? Because there's a man named Saul on the throne. Now Saul is a, is a man that, that God had chosen because he was great in stature and he was, he was smart in all these things, but yet he did something, he sinned against God. And so when Saul sinned against God, God went and he called and he anointed David to be his king, but yet Saul was still on the throne. Now I want you to understand that this was a very dangerous thing for David. So in 1 Samuel chapter number 18, David goes out and he does probably the most famous thing that he is known for, and that, he, that is that he faces a giant named Goliath in the valley. And he goes out into this valley, and you all know the story, hopefully, from, from when you were just a little kid, how that David went and he chose five smooth stones out of the brook, and how that he went and, and he talked to King Saul himself. And Saul said, David, he said, he said how are you going to do this? He said, well, I slew a lion. He said, and I slew a bear. And he said, the same thing is going to happen to this uncircumcised Philistine. And so David goes out in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and he, he kills Goliath with just a sling and a stone and cuts his head off. We know that story. And so when David does this, something happens. He goes back to Jerusalem. And any time that anybody would be victorious in battle, they would celebrate it. Just as when our troops come home today, you know, they, they make a big to-do. And I think they ought to, don't you? When those planes land and those, those troops that have been out fighting for our country, when, when they land and they come in and, and, you know, there's flags being flown and a lot of people and maybe a band's playing and they were, they're celebrated. And the same thing happened and it's happened for thousands and thousands of years and when somebody serves their country with valor, they are to be celebrated. And so David went home to Jerusalem and he was celebrated. And some women were, were up on the wall and they were looking down at David and they said something that rubbed Saul completely the wrong way. See, Saul was a great man of war. Saul was a man that was a, literally a head taller than every other Jewish person in the kingdom. He was a great fighter. And he had no doubt killed thousands of people. And so the women told, said that. They said that Saul has slew his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And so Saul turned on David from that moment forward. And so Saul on three different occasions between the book of, of 1 Samuel chapter 18 and where we get at, and several, several, several times Saul tries to kill David. And David has to literally flee for his life. And so we arrive here in 1 Samuel chapter number 30 and David 
has went and he has actually went into the country of the Philistines. Can you imagine now? You killed their biggest, baddest warrior and now you're going and you're going to, to hang out with them. And he goes down there and they give him a city and that city is called Ziklag. So in 1 Samuel chapter 30, David's family and, and David's men, these 600 men that are with David, we'll find that out, 600 men are with David and their wives and their children. So David has probably a couple of thousand people here that he's taking care of. And David leaves these folks at Ziklag and he puts them there and he has to go to battle with the Philistines. Well suddenly the Philistines decide that they distrust David and they send him home. And so we arrive in the scripture here in 1 Samuel chapter number 30 and it says in verse 1 and I'll read it again. It says and it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day they that the Amalekites had invaded the south. I guess that made the Amalekites Yankees, right? Amen. <laughs> Y'all never thought you'd read about that in the Bible, did you? But somebody invading the south. But anyways, it says that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. But here's something important, and, and I don't really have a great explanation for this other than God's hand was in this. But it says that they slew not any, either great or small, but they carried them away and went on their way. Now I told you all about David and, and how that he was a, about to be the king of the children of Israel. But on the other hand, you must understand the, about these folks that the Bible calls the Amalekites. You first run into the Amalekites in the book of Genesis when Jacob and Esau are born. And God tells Rebekah, he says, he said, tells Rebekah, he said, there will be two nations come out of your womb. And we know that, that, that Esau was born first and then Jacob was born and, and all this happens. But then suddenly when Esau has his 13th son, who we don't know his name, the children of the Amalekites come out of that man. And since then, and even unto this day, the Jews and the Jewish people and all the people in Israel, any Jew in the world, absolutely they hate Amalekites because they have always been a, a thorn at the side of the Jewish people. Everywhere you read, the Amalekites would show up and they would fight for a little while and they would kill a bunch of people and then they would just return to their country. And the children of Israel never really stamped them out. And even to this day, you can go to, the, to, go to Israel and find Jews and they'll tell you that they hate Amalekites. So David is coming back from fighting and he's, he's coming back and no doubt he's tired. No doubt his men are worn out. And as I play this picture in my mind, it says in verse 3, it says, So then, so David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire. Now the first thing they saw, maybe they topped a hill or they saw it from a distance and they saw the smoke coming up and they wondered, what in the world is going on here? They thought, why is this much smoke coming from the direction of Ziklag? What is going on? And no doubt they picked up their pace and they got back as fast as they could to Ziklag. And when they got closer, they saw that it was on fire and they saw that the buildings were on fire and their hearts probably fainted within them because they thought, my wives and my children, they're probably in those houses and they probably burn up. But they got there and they found that their wives and children were nowhere to be found. They found that, that everything that they had was, was carried off. 
See, back then, you, every bit of wealth that you had, you had it on, on your person or it stashed away somewhere. You didn't have banks. You didn't have trust funds. You didn't have all these other things. And so all your, your things that you had, your worldly possessions, you kept with you, and they were gone. And it says that when David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. This morning, I want to present to you a very simple message, but it's a, a message that we need to understand about getting back what the enemy has stolen from us. We need to, to get back what the enemy has stolen from us. The Amalekites were, were, have always been enemies of the children of Israel. This morning, you and I, we have an enemy, and you know he has a name. Did you know that? His name is Lucifer. And Lucifer, or, or the devil, or Satan, or whatever name that you want to call him, the prince of darkness, whatever you want to say, I want to tell you, Christian, I want to tell you, church, he's out to get you this morning. The Amalekites were always looking for an opportunity to gain advantage on the children of Israel. And on this particular day, guess what? They found opportunity to attack God's people. David was out fighting a battle. Even though he was fighting with the Philistines, he was still trying to do a righteous work. David was out doing what he was supposed to be doing, doing a good thing. And then the enemy comes up, comes from the north and invades. And I can't imagine what it was like that maybe they planned to attack this city. And they thought, wow, there's going to be sick men there and we're going to fight back. And there was nobody there to even fight back. And so they took the, the children and the wives captives. And, and you see that that's one of the first things that they noticed. Verse 3, it says, So David and his men came to the city. I'm reading it again. And behold, it was burned with fire. I'm sure that concerned them. But I'm sure it didn't concern them as much as the fact. It says, And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. Now there's a very important lesson that you can draw from this that the enemy wants your family. Did you know that? Say amen right there. You ought to say amen. Satan is out to get your family. Satan is out to get you. Satan is out to get Tanner and Mason and, and, and all these folks here in Cecil and all these folks. He's out to get you. But I'm telling you, he's out to get your family as much as he's out to get you. It, it, it really saddens me to see the state of the family in the United States of America today. Isn't it sad what really, what's going on in the U.S. with families? I mean, it really is. It, it turns my stomach to see people doing what they're doing. To see that, that, that children are, are being abandoned, that children are being aborted, and all these things. And, and God, did you know God instituted the family before he instituted the church? Before God did anything else, before anything really happened, before sin even came on the scene, you know what God said? Adam, here's your wife. And she's going to bear you some children. And she did. And we know that that's how the family unit got started. And ever since then, ever since the, the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter number 3, guess what Satan was doing? He was attacking the family. Right? 
He went to the wife and, and he, he was subtle to her. And then he went and she went to Adam and they took of the fruit and they shouldn't have. And, and I'll say this, it, it was as much Adam's fault as it was Eve's, amen. And they took of the fruit and now here we are with this, with this fallen nature, with these perishable bodies. Why? Because Satan attacks families. Just as the Amalekites attacked David's family and attacked his 600 men's family and, and, and they were distraught over it. They were concerned because their family had been taken captive. But yet there's attacks on our families today and are we concerned about it? I'm concerned about it. You know de the devil, he wants my wife. He wants my children. And he's going to do what he can to fight me tooth and nail to try to take them away from me. The family is under attack, and, and it seems like people are being taken captive one by one by one. I could tell you numerous stories. I've, I've got a cousin, a first cousin, and I don't know if I've told you about him. Maybe I have, but, but he had the exact same raising that I did. He was taken to church as a kid. We had the, the same grandpa, and our, our moms were sisters, and he had the, just the exact same raising I did. We were raised kind of rough and got some whoopings, but we were taught the Bible and things like that. And today, guess where he's at? Well, he's on drugs. And he's, he's on drugs every day and, and alcohol and all these things. And it breaks his mother's heart. Why? Because Satan attacks families. Not only that, but he's had several kids and, and Satan's attacked him and, and had his kids taken away from him. They're in a good place now, but, but Satan used those drugs and that alcohol and all these things to get his children taken away from him. Why? Because Satan attacks families. Satan has taken our families from us and it's one thing to, to think, well, yeah, that's the world, but it happens right here in our churches. It happens right under our noses. It shouldn't, but it does. See, David, he was, he was doing the right thing. He left his family to go fight a battle. That was okay. That was fine. David didn't do anything wrong in that. But yet when he came back, his family had been taken captive. There's a lot of folks that are in church every time the doors are open. Folks that, that read their Bible. Folks that pray. Folks that are doing the right things. And guess what? Their family's just getting snatched away from them. Their families getting, getting them just, just drug out from under them. Some of you probably have wayward kids, wayward grandchildren, family, your brothers and your sisters, and, and maybe even your mom and dad, and all these folks around you that are lost. How do I know that? Because a lot of them, if they were saved, they would be here with you this morning. Amen? Harsh reality, but, but it is what it is. I'm just telling you. And, and I hate it, but, but Satan wants to destroy your family. Just as he did David's family. And I'm not trying to, trying to be a, 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 you know, make it, make this drab or make, you know, make this service a bummer. But, but if you're a Christian and Satan's attacking your family, you need to be concerned about that. You need to be concerned about it. You need to spend some time being concerned and, and, and weeping and all these things. But the next thing that Satan took from them is it says that in verse number 4, it says, And then David and all the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. 
Satan took their joy from them, didn't he? See, I'm sure that those guys, when they were coming home from battle that day from doing a righteous deed, they thought, hey, I'm going to get to see the wife and the kids tonight, and I'm going to get to go to bed with my wife, and I'm going to get to have supper with my kids, and, and, and all these things. But then suddenly when they got back and, and they, they found this, it said that they wept until they had no more power to weep. Now, I've never been there. I can't imagine what it's like. I've wept a few times. I've had people taken away from me, but I can't imagine what it would be like to just show up at home one day and suddenly my house has is, is, is been burned to the ground, all my things have been taken, my car has been taken, uh, they took their animals, they took everything, but most of all, they took my family, I don't know where they're at, I don't know if they're dead or alive. See, at this point, David did not know what they had done with his family. David was faced with the reality that even though they were gone, they might still be dead at this point. And every bit of joy, every bit of happiness, every bit of anything in these guys that, that, was, that was just remotely good had suddenly been drained out of them, had been zapped out of them because the devil wants to take your joy away. Amen? And he did. And he succeeded at it. These men that were, that were doing right, doing well, had, had just suddenly had everything taken away from them. Now you think, well, you shouldn't get tore up over worldly possessions. I get that. I understand that. But everything these men had worked for all their life was yanked out from under them. And their families were gone. And all their joy was gone. And then the third thing that I want you to see, verse number 6, it says, And David was greatly distressed. Why was David greatly distressed? Because his wife had been taken away from him? Probably. Because his children had been taken? Yeah, probably. <laughs> but this is the reason David was distressed. For the people spake of stoning him. He goes on to say, Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. It says, But David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now I want you to understand that the third thing that they had lost, that they had 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 that the devil had taken away from them was their cohesion and their unity as a group. See, these men had been with David for quite a while. These men knew that David was the righteous and the rightly appointed king of Israel. And they knew that David should be sitting on Saul's throne. And so these men picked up out of Jerusalem and left. If you, find, you can find that in 1 Samuel chapter 22. And they left and, and 600 men followed David because they knew that he was a righteous man of God. They knew that he was the king and so they followed him out into the wilderness. And they had literally been running for their lives for months and months and months and months. But they were willing to die with this man. They looked at David as their captains. First uh, Samuel chapter 22 says that the Lord made David a captain over his people. But then all of a sudden, Satan comes and he attacks. And what happens? Well, there went the cohesion. 
There went, the, there went the group spirit. There went the guys that were, you know, last week saying, oh, David, he's a great guy. David, he, he's taking us in a good direction. David is, is going to take us and we're going to go back to Jerusalem and be on the throne one of these days. All of a sudden, Satan comes and attacks. And guess what? They pick up the rocks ready to stone David. Why is that? Because they didn't, have, they didn't know who to blame at that point. They may not have known that it was the, the Amalekites that did this. They may not have had a clue what was going on. They didn't know what had happened. All they know is they show up and everything is destroyed. Everything is taken away from them and they're greatly distressed. And so they turn on David. Now there's a good lesson right there about churches. Did you know that? There's a good lesson about that, that, that this man, David, we know from the story, it's very obvious to us that David was not their enemy. David was not the one they should have blamed. Why? Because David was one of them. David was in the same shape as they were. David had his family taken, his wives, his children, everything that he had. David was just as they were. He wasn't the enemy. Remember who the enemy is? Satan. But guess what? He's looking to cause discord among people. Did you know that? Are you with me? You know what one of the things that, that God hates is? He that soweth discord among the brethren. It's one of the seven things that God hates. And Satan, every chance he will get, will try to sow discord among us. How much better for the Amalekites would it have been? How much of a bonus would it have been if they would have stoned David? If they would have just took the leader out and, and stoned him and, and then they would have had no cohesion. They would have had nothing going for them. He, they were causing confusion. They were causing all these things. And we see that Satan has taken those same things away from us today. Satan has taken families, hasn't he? It's very obvious. Satan has taken people's joy. People walk around and with, you know, with a big long face all the time just looking at the ground, sad, discouraged, disgruntled even. Why? Because Satan took their joy. He may have used another person to do it. He may have used a number of things to do it. But I guarantee if you get to the root of the problem, Satan was the author of that. He's taken our joy, but then again, he's taken unity. He's taken cohesion. Amen? You don't believe me? How many denominations are there in Cookville? Right? Probably two dozen. All over the world. We have one goal, but yet Satan is trying to sow disunity. He's trying to sow discord all the time. And it would be bad if the story ended right there, wouldn't it? What would, you, what would you do if I just closed the Bible and said, well, we can go to the house now. I've bummed you out. I've told you all the problems that we have. Not all of them, but some of them. That would be terrible. But what I, I, one thing that I love about reading the Bible is that God always has a resolution. And God was about to resolve this problem. Turn your attention one more time to verse number 6 and then we'll move on into the later parts of the chapter. After, after David and, and all these gentlemen had, had cried their eyes out, 
and probably lost their voices from weeping. No doubt they had, they had just howled to the top of their lungs. It says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now that's very important that we take note of what, what David did. David didn't, didn't turn to self-help programs. He didn't turn to a number of things. He turned to the only one that could help him, and that was the Lord. So David encouraged himself in the Lord. And then in verse number 7, something else happens. I didn't read that earlier, but now we'll read verse number 7. It says, And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, Bring me hither the ephod. And Abithar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? So the first thing that David did, this ephod that, that David had brought to him was a symbol of God's presence. And so David looks at the priest and he says, Hey, Abithar, he says, bring me the ephod. He said, I'm about to pray. Anytime the ephod was brought out, that was the thing that the priest would put on and they would pray. And they would get in touch with God and they would humble themselves. And there was a number of symbols on the ephod. And I don't have time to get into that uh, about all the things and all the reminders that God had done for the children of Israel. And so David said, bring me the ephod. I have got to get down to business with God. And so he brings it to him and it says that David inquired. It says that David, he said that he inquired at the Lord. And he said, Lord, he asked God a question. He got down and he humbled himself. No, I can imagine David's probably on his face, maybe in front of all the other people that had just lost their families, just lost everything that they had. And he gets down and he says, God, can I pursue them? He says, God, can I go, can I go try to get back the things that the enemy has taken from me? God, you know my situation. God saw it happen. God saw the Amalekites taking them, right? He did. God's omnipresent. He sees everything. He sees any evil that's been done to you. He saw your family get taken. He saw your joy get taken. He saw everything that's gone wrong. The unity in the church is taken. Whatever it is, God knows about it. But I will, I will tell you this and I will guarantee you this, that God wants to hear from you. God absolutely could have just willed it and those Amalekites would have brought back David's children and family and their possessions and even rebuilt the city. If God said do it, they would have done it. They wouldn't have had a choice. They would have had to do it. But that's not how God works all the time. See, sometimes, sometimes God wants us to get up and do something. You know, Christianity is not something where you just sit around and you read a book and you pray and then you go to the house and say, well, wasn't that good? No. Christianity is, is about action. It's about doing something. It's about getting up and going. Now, we know that, that you read the book of Acts in the New Testament, and that was the actions of the apostles, and we know that that's spreading the gospel. But there's other times when Christians must take action. And this is one of those times when Satan has taken something away from you that he's not supposed to have, you can take it back. 
You're not supposed to just sit there and say, well, he's got my family. A lot of people do. David could have. Those men, they might have. But David said, no. David said, God has been faithful to me far too many times for me to sit here and and just get a case of the do-nothings. God has helped me to feed a giant. God helped me to feed a bear and all these things. And maybe, maybe David said, these, whoever these people are that took my family, they're going to be the same as that Philistine when I get done with them. And so David said, God, can I do this? David, all he did was simply presented his case to the Lord. He just laid it out there. And he says, God, you know what's happened. God, you know that they've been taken. And, and I don't know where they are. And you're the only place that I can turn. But God, can I go get my family? God, can I go get those things that have been taken away from me? God, can can I pursue after them? It's time that we wake up and realize that we don't just have to sit here and do nothing. That we can get down, we can humble ourselves, we can pray, and we can present our case to the Lord and say, God, you know about my family. You know about my children. God, you know that my joy has been taken. God, you know that I'm not in harmony with my church or I'm not in harmony with a church member. God, you know about these things that Satan has taken away from me. Can I go get them back? Can I go get them back? And God didn't say, well, let me go get them back for you. What did God say? God gives David a quick answer. It says in verse 9, or verse 8, it says, He says, shall I overtake them? And he answered him, he being God, he says, pursue. God says, pursue. Go get up. And then he takes it a step further. God makes a promise to David after he says pursue. He says, for thou shalt surely overtake them. And without fail, recover all. God promised them. God told David that day, he said, David, if you will pursue what, God, what, what Satan has taken away, he said, you'll get it back. He said, you'll overtake him. Why? Because God is on our side, right? Romans 8.31, what does that say? If God be for us, who can be against us? Nobody. That's a rhetorical question, isn't it? Paul asked a rhetorical question. If God is for David, who could be against David? Well, the Amalekites sure couldn't be against David. David had a reputation of God being on his side. And that day he got up and he went after them. He pursued them. Sure, he was, he, was, he was heartbroken and he didn't know the result. But God made him a promise. He said, you shall overtake them. But not before he did what? He prayed, he presented, and then he pursued. Don't just go at it on your own. Don't just say, hey, I'm going to go get this stuff back. You have to take God with you. God has to be with you and God will be with you. God wants you to get that back. God wants you to have your family back. God wants you to have your joy back. God wants you to have unity. But you've got to do it on his terms. And David did it on God's terms. Verse number 16, and I'm going to read to verse 20 and then we'll be about done. 
It says, and when, they had, and when he had brought him down, behold, they, this is the Amalekites, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. It says in verse 17, And David smote them from the twilight even until the evening of the next day, and there escaped not a man of them save 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled. Verse 18, this is very important. It says, And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. David got it back. David got his family back. No doubt when his family was taken back, then there was a celebration by those men. And guess what? They probably got their joy back. And then guess what? When they got all that back, I would say that they didn't want to stone David anymore. What would you say? David, he, he did so many great things, but at that time in his life, he had so much taken away from him. In fact, everything was taken away from him. David had left what he had on his person, and that was it. And so many folks, so many Christians have had things taken from them, and they've been stripped of about everything that God has given them. And all they have left to do is pray. It's sad, really, that prayer is a last resort, isn't it? You know, so many times we, things happen and, and things get pulled out from under us and we realize it. But then we try to do things on our own. We try to take matters into our own hands and it's not going to work. It doesn't work that way. God does not work that way. God said, if, you'll just, if you just pray, he said, and present your case to me. He said, you'll without fail recover those things. You can get them back. They don't belong to Satan. Did you know that? Just because he has them for a little while does not mean they are his to keep. And so I encourage you this morning, if this message has resonated with you, maybe you're in the situation of David's men and you realize that your family's been taken from you, that, that your joy's been taken from you, and all these things, you can do something about it. If Cecil will come and lead us in a song, everybody stand. Bow your heads for just a moment while I pray. Father, we love you. God, and we thank you for all your many blessings. God, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for an example like the King David. But God, we know that, that all, everything wasn't always great in his life. And God, I pray that we can understand and, and take the example to heart. God, that we're under attack every day. And that Satan is, is trying to get us and he's trying to attack us. And sure, he may have taken some things, but God, we can get them back through you. Lord, I just pray that, that as we sing this song, God, that hearts would be touched. God, that people would realize that the only thing they can do is come to you and ask you. And God, get your permission. And then, Lord, they pursue. Lord, we get up and we go after these folks. We go to them, and with God's help, with, with God's accompaniment, we go to them. And Lord, we can recover.
Lord, I just pray that you would help our church. God, help us as individuals to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.